Hello and welcome to another Cardinals Off Day, and therefore to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. Uh, this is Ben Godar here. Uh, it's uh, May 10th. Uh, the Cardinals are 21 and 14 on pace to win 107 games, and I'm just going to say that'll get it done. That will get it done. Uh, they currently have the best record in the National League. Uh, well, anyway, it's been, uh, I think two weeks since we last recorded one of these, we had a little bit of a longer stretch between off days. So, uh, Ben, uh, what did you learn? What did we learn? Um, well, I, I think what we have learned is that the, the bullpen looks a lot sharper when the starting pitching gives the team innings and that in turn makes Mike Schultz job a lot easier. And, uh, you know, what you've seen is, you know, I don't want to call it uneventful, but it has much more of a regular season pace to it of a good Cardinals team. The last 17 straight games have where for the most part, they're getting good starting pitching. That's helping Schilt use the bullpen. And then they're having a good offensive performance from uh, different spots in the lineup every night to help carry them through. And if you'd have told me, Ben, when Yadier Molina went on the injured list, that they would perform as well as they did, both the staff uh, and the lineup when he was on the injured list, I would have been surprised. And yet here we are. Uh, Kisner did a good job filling in for Yadi while Yadi was on the injured list. And they found production from elsewhere in the lineup because, uh, you know, Kisner wasn't that great at the plate. He started out okay, but... Uh, you know, was nowhere near what Yadier Molina has given the team this year. And so uh, I, I think that was my number one takeaway is that, you know, this team is going to be good if the starting pitching can give them innings. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agreed. Agreed. Uh, so I, in, in terms of what I feel like I have learned, I, I was just thinking back to, um, I think shortly before the season started, uh, I was on the the Chirps podcast talking with our, our good friend Alex Crisafuli over there. Ooh, friend of the pod. I can say friend of the pod. I've always wanted to say that. Yeah, we we need to have him <laughs> on the podcast. I think uh, if and and we then, do. And then, do. Alex, I, if you're listening, you're, you might get a call soon. <laughs> I, I think that's required to be a friend of the pod, isn't it? You're right. You're right. You're right, because otherwise I'm just kind of like both. It's kind of like I have a girlfriend in Canada kind of thing. It's very it's unverifiable until he appears on the podcast. It, it is a one way so. relationship. You are only a friend of the right. Chirps podcast. We <laughs> Our podcast has no friends, at least not yet. Right, right. We do. We need to build some. We need to build some. But uh, I, I recall a conversation that he and I had, and I think he threw out this idea of the Cardinals outfield this year having both a, a low floor and a high ceiling. And I kind of agreed with him um, because, uh, you know, there's just, aside from Dylan Carlson, who I think we all were feeling reasonably, you know, good about just his uh quality as a player but again not a lot of track record so still certainly some uncertainty there but you know everybody else I think the low floor is pretty obvious on most of these guys I mean these are guys who every one of them has had opportunities to cement themselves as a starting major league outfielder and every one of them has squandered at least some of those opportunities so that low floor was there but these last couple of weeks, I think we've been reminded of the somewhat high ceiling of some of these guys as well. And it's it's way too short a period for me to really put a lot of stock into this. But 
you know, since he came back from the DL, Tyler O'Neill has looked fantastic at the plate. Um, I'm really encouraged by him doing what I, I feel like he was doing in spring training, which was, uh, you know, pulling an inside pitch out of the park with authority, but also just driving the ball uh, to right field if they if they pitched him on the outside of the plate. Um, his uh, his strikeout rate is only 32.1% so far this year, which for Tyler O'Neill is actually <laughs> a little bit better. And it's been much, much better since he's been back. And, you know, Harrison Bader in an even shorter sample size since he has been back, Harrison Bader has looked really good as well. And I think we all know, we know enough about Harrison Bader to know that He's, he's very streaky. There can be prolonged slumps, but I think sometimes his streakiness and the slumps can blind us to the fact that he can be a very effective hitter. And so um, I think most likely we're just kind of seeing both of them at their very best right now. I don't think this is going to continue, but you know, there's at least reason to, to hope or be optimistic that through evolving and growing as players, through good coaching, they might be able to maintain some of these better habits, some of these things that are doing this. And, and, you know, if we're dreaming here and Hey, we're, you know, we're, we're 21, 14 on pace to win 107 games. So, you know, the version of this team that wins 107 games is the version of this team where, you know, all three of their outfielders are, you know, about, you know, 20 to 30% above league average, which is, you know, in the range they're playing at here in this short window of time recently. So for our first topic today, I don't think there's really anywhere we could start except with uh, Albert Pujols. I know that's what most of my Cardinals-related conversation of the past at least few days has centered around. So obviously, uh, last Thursday, Albert Pujols was uh, rather unceremoniously designated for assignment by the Angels, um, a move that I think all of us expected in the last few years, you know, could, could be something that happened. Um, he's obviously been in decline for a long time, but yet still somehow felt like it came really out of the blue when it happened. Um, so I think there's a lot of things to sort of unpack here about what did happen, but I think for us as Cardinals fans, probably even more so like, what does this, what does this mean going forward? And particularly is, is a reunion with the Cardinals something that's a possibility? It, would it be a desirable thing if it happened? So I think we could go in a lot of different directions, Ben. Where would you like to start? Well, uh, there's the head versus heart argument here, I think, very much defines this situation. Uh, and my initial reaction when this happened is the same one as I sit here today and will probably be the same one until... Uh, the Cardinals finished their last game of the regular season. And and that feeling is, I want more than anything for Albert Pujols to hit his last major league home run as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Uh, hopefully by then with enough people uh, having received the COVID-19 vaccination that it is sold out. And that place will be unlike anything anyone has ever seen in a regular season baseball game, if he does that. Right. And right. I want to especially experience since that. It will be, especially since it will be game four of the World Series as the Cardinals complete a sweep in their 12th World Championship. <laughs> yes. Um, and so there, there is that where I look at it and I'm just like, I want this. Uh, and maybe perhaps part of it is because of COVID-19. I almost need like a just a really positive emotional experience, uh, even if it's through Major League Baseball. Um, and I want that more than anything. Uh, on the flip side, you know, one of the reasons that Albert Pujols is, is one of the greatest players in the history of baseball is because he's a crazy person. Uh, 
And mm-hmm. I don't know if he would be a fit as a bench player uh, on a team that is built the way the Cardinals are um, just because of the way his mentality is and the way that his tenure came to the Angels basically was because they wanted him to fill the role that the Cardinals only have available for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with you on on both points. And, you know, to the whole kind of head versus heart idea. Um, I mean, that's what I've been wrestling with, too. And I just I don't know how you could, as a Cardinals fan, not want to see Albert Pujols back in a Cardinals uniform, um, no matter what, uh, no matter what state he's in, but just to finish his career there. Um, I think I had said last year, you know, I really thought maybe last year was the chance that we would see an Albert Pujols reunion because it was, I mean, last year would have been a totally reasonable DFA year. And with the DH last year in St. Louis, I thought maybe this will be one where, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, it's the end of the line here, but he'll have this opportunity here. So I kind of thought the chance had passed, but now, you know, here we are. Um, so yeah, I, um, what do you think the odds are that this, this happens. What are your, what, what's your gut telling you? I mean, I think that we have no idea, but what, what let's speculate. I, if you watched the Mosaic zoom meeting where he basically said, this is a results oriented business. And the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over again and expect a different result in reference to Matt Carpenter. Now, Matt Carpenter is not Albert Pujols by any stretch of the imagination, Um, but they have a situation that is basically Albert Pujols from the other side of the plate with Matt Carpenter, an aging veteran who's past his prime uh, and isn't putting up the numbers to justify a salary or playing. And I don't Mm -hmm. think there is a world in which John Mosellock, even for the league minimum, Signs and the difference being though that Matt Carpenter is has accepted his bench role, is basically sticking to the company line. You know, even before Mosellock made those statements, Carpenter was saying it's a results oriented business and I need to deliver. And so he's been a team player through and through. Not that Pujols is not a team player, but he uh, basically all indications are he sees himself as not only an everyday player, but an everyday first baseman. So not even really a DH. And it's, you, you look at that and the way that they're handling Carpenter, I don't think that at this point in time in May, they would willingly go and make this happen because they have a first baseman who they are paying a lot of money to, to play 95% of the games and Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. And so right. what does that leave Pujols to do start once a week and take some pinch hitting appearances? I just don't think he's going to be open to that until uh, he has maybe sat around without receiving any phone calls to start for a period of time. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, the, the early reporting of course was that this was basically what it came down to with the angels as they said essentially look we we think you're a bench player now we're going to move you into this bench role and it sounds like he could have played out the season there as you know their kind of 26th man on their roster he said no I, as you've said i'm i'm a starting 
first baseman, I'd rather be released. And so, you know, they released him. So I think there, you know, his first priority would be, you, you would assume, to try to find another team to sign him to be their starting first baseman or perhaps designated hitter. I have a very hard time believing that that is going to happen. I know there were some early, uh, you know, the, the White Sox idea, I think definitely seemed plausible. Seems like a very Tony LaRusa kind of move. And they've had some injuries there too, where you could say, okay, maybe that could work. I know Kansas City was thrown out as well. Um, you know, obviously he has, you know, uh, ties coming from the Kansas City area and everything. Um, both of those teams have at least kind of publicly said, you know, not not something they're interested in. So um, now we're still in, and, and I don't know if we even know exactly where we are in the sort of seven day passing through waivers period. But I mean, it's obvious no one is going to make a waiver claim. That's just, there's no chance that that happens. So um, he will have to get through waivers before anyone can actually sign him. So it's possible that, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody's interested and they're just kind of sitting back until that period's over or whatever. I don't know exactly what the machinations will be there. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, we know his first priority is going to be to find somewhere where he can start or have very significant playing time. But I think there's a good chance he does not find that. Okay, so if if he finds that's not there, I think then the question becomes, well, what does he do then? You know, does he retire? Does he say, you know what, if I can't if I'm no longer at that level, I'm going to call it quits. That would be a totally plausible thing to do. We've definitely seen guys go out like that. On the other hand, does he say, I just I really want to stick around. I'm willing to be somebody's 26th man on the bench. And that's where it does get a little bit interesting to me because if he reaches that point, I think St. Louis seems like a place that would be a place where he, you know, if he's willing to do that, it seems like the place where he, he would, you know, be most willing to do that. Um, But then it gets into some of the things you were kind of talking about. Well, would St. Louis be interested in him? And I think the Matt Carpenter question is a really good question. You're absolutely right. They're basically the same player at this point. Although uh, I will point out that uh, Matt Carpenter uh, has a, a 51 WRC plus on the season. Albert Pujols has a 73 WRC plus on the season. And in fact, <laughs> when you look at, but when, you know, I mean, we're talking about the 26th man on the roster. We're talking about a roster spot that didn't even exist, um, you know, until this year. And you're talking about taking a spot away from, Maybe Carpenter, but I think they could pretty easily keep Carpenter and Pujols. I mean, they've they've had Carpenter and Nagowski and Dean on the roster at the same time already this year, you know, and those are all three of those kind of guys. I didn't think it was a great idea. I didn't think they'd stick with it. And, you know, maybe they won't. But I guess my point is, at that point, you're not talking about bringing him in to take at bats away from, you know, Paul Goldschmidt or any, you know, anybody like that. You're basically saying, you know, do we want to take on Albert Pujols to take away, you know, at bats from John Nagowski or Austin Dean or, you know, maybe Matt Carpenter? And I don't know. I think he might it it might be worth doing that. I don't think he's much better than those players, but I don't think he's much worse. I don't think you get and, much value out of your 26th man, no matter what. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but what he brings, um, you know, and it's kind of become favorable to poo-poo this type of thing. Um, but I don't think you can minimize it. And the Cardinals have Wainwright. They have Molina. Um, but he is a guy who is an all-time great player. And he's also, frankly, a hyper-competitive, kind of a 
you know, not, he is not a warm and fuzzy player, you know, not that he's not nice on the bases or whatever, but he's out there to win. And so he's Mm -hmm. got that edge. And I, and I think he would police the dugout in that way. Again, not that Yachty isn't already doing that or what have you. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also, um, you know, Mike Trout has talked about the value of playing with Pujols. Now, when Trout gave those statements, um, you know, after the release was announced, I was reminded of an interview that Mark DeRosa did about 12 or what year was that? Oh, nine. And they were interviewing him. They were like, what's it like to talk hitting with Albert Pujols? And he goes, I can't talk hitting with Albert Pujols because the things that Albert Pujols does, I can't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he like, he said it kind of as a joke, but he kind of wasn't joking either. And so, you know, there's a part of me that's like, you get this very esteemed player who has a lot of skills, but maybe Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado and maybe a Dylan Carlson, maybe he can help them in a way that translates on the field. I, you know, obviously Goldschmidt and uh, Arenado don't need that type of help, but, um, but it's, you know, I, I go back and forth on that veteran presence, that hall of fame presence, because, you know, he, he was doing things that no one else could do. And we're going to talk about (laughs) that here a little bit later, but um, what I was really hoping, um, and I was talking about it with, my brother and I was like, really to me, the best case scenario is they, he sits around, no one signs him. And then the Cardinals bring him in to be a bench player with the understanding that he's going to be a bench player. Right. And And I think that's the only way that he comes to the Cardinals, because I don't think, um, you know, there, there's any, you know, if they reach out to each other, that's a hundred percent what the offer is on the table. So I'm not so worried about him coming to the Cardinals and then being upset about his role, because I think the only way he would even be offered a contract is, is with the full understanding that this is what your role is going to be. And to the Cardinals credit, I think they do a really good job of that with players in general. And we saw things like giving Dexter Fowler the chance to move on this year and, um, I just I think especially with veteran players, they seem to do a very good job of, you know, setting clear expectations with them and when things change, you know, kind of working with them. So, um, yeah, now I, I got to be honest. I mean, I think this is a long shot still, but I've also been uh, a little swayed by some of the uh, basically the uh, the Yachty Instagram campaign that is going on. <laughs> so I think I on Twitter today, I think I described it as Yachty doing Q drops for a pool yes. reunion. So if you haven't seen, he uh, posted uh, there was there was one. It was like a picture of the two of them. It said one more ride. Uh, there's been several yeah. kind of all of that of that same genre. Of course, Nolan Arenado um, at his uh press conference the other day is a little zoom press conference kind of ended after the questions are done actually asked if he could say one more thing and basically you know professed his love for albert as the best player ever it had real like action movie if you're listening you know (laughs) you know like um i love you and i want to play with you i'm you know not doing it justice but it had very strong action movie if you're listening no yeah <laughs> how yeah. much i respect you and it, well, it was great 
Right. And I, but I'll tell you the one thing about that that has really piqued my interest too is, you know, I feel like the the Cardinals do a really good job of keeping things locked down and not being a, a team that um, fans the flames of a lot of rumors in general. Um, and so that was one thing this offseason with the Arenado situation too. Right before that happened, if you remember, there was, I think most notably, Wainwright kind of gave a press conference with some very like wink, wink, nut, when he re-signed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think some big things are coming. And there were a few different players that really gave hints that something was happening. And this was right as there was starting to be some reporting that Arenado, an Arenado trade was in the, in the works. And at the time, I kind of thought like, oh, this is all far-fetched. This is just kind of one of these rumor things, you know, and then it happened. I'm, I don't know, Ben, I'm getting a little bit of the same vibe here. Like they might have heard something internally that this is at least a possibility. What do you think? Uh, Yachty seems to be, you know, Yachty, they don't really have any way of controlling. And he sure seems yeah. to be not letting this go in a way where it's like, it makes, you know, I, I've told myself, I don't see any way this happens, but then Yachty is just, you know, doing stuff on Instagram with his posts where I'm like, I mean, it's not going to happen. Is it like, I'm doubting myself where it's like, this feels like, you know, I, I like to use the old Joe Strauss, uh, hashtag, uh, smoke. And it sure seems like there's some smoke here. And usually where there's smoke, there's at least a little bit of fire. I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, I mean, if, you know, if this truly is a head versus heart situation, I'm a hundred percent heart right here. So I, uh, uh, anyway, um, I'll be interested to see, uh, what, what happens with this before, uh, our next, next off day, who knows, that would be certainly give us something to talk about. Yes, it would. And since there are two off days that week, I mean, we could just do a Pujols episode and then talk about the rest of the team, uh, for the second episode. That's true. Although this is really basically going to be a Pujols episode today. So, you know, we could just, he, we could just turn this into all the episodes. Podcast. Right, yes. exactly. I think our, our, our listenership would only grow. So um, <laughs> before we get to another Pujols related contract, we did, or a topic, I should say, we did want to touch base uh, a little bit on some current things going on with the pitching staff. And uh, I think first off, Ben, we wanted to talk a little bit about Carlos Martinez, uh, his results have definitely improved over his last few appearances, just in terms of kind of, you know, runs allowed and, um, you know, winning those games underlying, maybe not so much. So where, where, what do you want to say about Carlos? Well, his, his most recent start was terrible. It was basically a John Gant start, uh, with the runs that you deserve when you pitch like John Gant pitches. Um, but before that you had, you know, you have this fascinating need to frame a narrative as a human, and you'll see this uh, in the media. And this narrative kind of came, you know, the tsunami is returning and all of this because he had a few good starts in a row, you know, but his his pitching was not all that different between his early bad starts and his more recent good ones. Um, and And the reason that I say that is, He's still giving up a lot of balls in play and uh, quite a fair amount of solid contact or hard hits. And what you're seeing is, uh, you know, in the good starts, the balls are just hit at the infielders. And in the bad ones, they might be hit at the infielders and then there's a misplay, but then they'll find the outfield grass for a hit. And 
yeah. you know, uh, Carlos famously has had the shoulder issues and he just, uh, the velocity is not there on his stuff. Uh, in my mind, the movement is not there either. Um, watching the games uh, quite like it was. And now he has introduced this cutter that I'm just frankly not terribly impressed with, despite the way Schilt has sold it and some of the other folks have. And it really feels like Carlos is almost a man out of time trying to reinvent himself without the elite stuff that he once had in a high fastball, high velocity league um, with, you know, kind of almost a Dave Duncan type approach where he had reduced his walks quite a bit and was pounding the strike zone. Um, but he's not even really getting the ground balls either. Cause that is what made him elite um, was his ability to get strikeouts and ground balls before he hurt his shoulder. And right now he looks like someone where, you know, riding the tsunami is going to mean, you know, riding the batted ball luck dragon. And you have no idea what's going to happen from one game to the next. And, you know, the strikeouts are just virtually non-existent. I mean, his strikeout numbers, uh, you know, are something that Ricky Horton could relate to. And it's just not good. Yeah, I've got his Fangraphs page open right now. And so 2017 and 2018, which were his last two years really in the rotation, um, kind of before this recent stretch here, 2017, he had a 25% strikeout rate. 2018, he had a 23% strikeout rate, both like very good. That's, you know, very, very good. Um, 2021, he's at a 12.6% strikeout rate, which is very, very low. And I feel like this is something that comes up a lot, both on the pitching and the hitting side. And it's kind of like, a, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of like a, a Sabermetrics 101 thing, but I do feel like a lot of people kind of don't give it short shrift sometime. And that's, you know, if you're so uh, sticking with the pitching side here, you know, if you're not striking somebody out, you're not uh, walking somebody uh, and you've got home runs as well, which is certainly a concern, but uh, everything else is a ball in play. And when you're putting balls in play, you are it's it's very uh, it's very luck based what's going to happen when those balls go in play. So um, you can have long you can have stretches where you perform very well because those balls find fielders um but you can uh, it can it can turn on you and 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 the thing that i think it's frustrating is when you're following sort of the media narrative on a player like this it's like this it's a con you're, you're riding the waves or riding the tsunami if you will um <laughs> you know like oh what you know he, the, he was good this week. What's he doing different? Oh, now he's bad this week. Well, if if you're uh, if you have a twelve percent strikeout rate uh, and an eight percent walk rate, which is what he has right now, it's it's all batted ball luck is what's going to happen. And so, um, and and obviously in those sort of you know the media world where people need something to talk about all the time, of course you kind of look for something, but it's just it may not be anything more than that. It's like you you are reliant on balls and play turning into outs and and yes you can some some things can impact that yes defense has some impact on that but the the luck is huge and the variability is huge and so if this is the pitcher that Carlos Martinez is now i think that's just we just have to be ready for that that's what that's what we're going to see so 
Yeah, it, it will have very little to do with his uh, mental toughness or focus. Um, that's not to say that he won't have outings where that is an issue. Um, but, you know, you look at the game in Philadelphia where he got shelled, where his defense just abandoned him, uh, and there were a handful of misplays, uh, but no errors because, you know, of the way the official scorekeeper rules work. Um, right. And so it was it was an ugly game. And then he said, and I thought it was a 100% accurate observation at the time, that he thought that was the best he pitched all uh, all season and, mm-hmm. and going back a while. And I agreed with him. Um, but the problem is, you know, he he's dialing it up now, and we've sort of talked about his heat, his four-seamer, and it gets to 94, 95. That's about league average right now. It, he used mm-hmm. to be able to dial it up to 98. And so he's missing, right. you know, four or five miles per hour off of his four-seamer, and his other stuff does not look as sharp. And you look at those shoulder injuries and uh, or shoulder issues, and you know you have to ask yourself if uh, you know if it's possible to remake yourself as this type of a pitcher in this day and age. And he's still pitched pretty well. Like his his yeah. fielding independent pitching is about leg average. His ERA yeah. is a little bit worse. Um, so he's still a very serviceable you know, middle of the rotation starter right now in this current incarnation. But the problem is you're probably going to have some of these peak and valley type of games where he just gets whacked around the park because of where the balls go and you don't have a chance yeah. to win. You don't have a chance to set up your bullpen, those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is an important point because of course, earlier in the year you had people who were, you know, I, I mean, I know there were, columnists writing and suggesting, well, maybe uh, when uh, Kim comes back, it's Martinez who should leave the rotation and they should hang on to Gant and Ponce de Leon, which, you know, was pretty preposterous. And and so, yeah, when we talk about Carlos being a bit diminished, I mean, Carlos still looks like absolutely a, a back end of the rotation kind of kind of guy. Um, I mean, let's keep this in context here. Carlos Martinez has an 8% walk rate. John Gant has uh, an 18% walk rate. Um, yeah, you know, Gant's 18. atrocious. It's yeah. uh, Carlos is head and shoulders above John Gant, but basically, you know, a number five starter on the Rockies probably is head and shoulders above John Gant. So, and I don't even know who the Rockies fifth starter is because I haven't looked at their uh, rotation from top to bottom uh, in a while. I just looked at who they had uh, going against the Cardinals, but like, you know, Gant's been terrible. They can't get him out of the rotation soon enough. The walks are atrocious. It's just completely unacceptable. He's been so bad that he actually makes me wonder if he could be a serviceable reliever anymore. Um, well, I, I still buy into him as a reliever because, you know, he does get he does get some strikeouts. But the more, the biggest thing to me is a guy like Gant as a reliever. If if the if it's a particularly bad night on control, you can pull him like you you, do, yeah. you have sort of a mechanism there. And, and Gant is I mean, Gant to me, frankly, profiles as a really excellent swing man, you know, or a guy that. Um, you know, if you do have to pull your starter early, I think John Gant has the potential 
to be a one time through the order guy. So if you have to go to the bullpen in like the fourth inning, you bring him out and you let him keep. Now you're ready to pull him as soon as it's not going well. But I think there's going to be nights that he's going to give you, you know, two, three innings there that kind of, you know, keep you, keep you moving. So I'm not, I'm maybe not quite as, as low on Gantt as you are, but I definitely don't want to see him in the rotation. I I, I don't know why Johan Oviedo is not already in his spot in the rotation. Like, I, I think Oviedo shows a lot better stuff. Um, you know, he's still learning to become a major league pitcher, so you're going to have those growing pains. But Gant doesn't look like he could learn anything that would help him. Um, and what you hope is, uh, if and when he moves back to the bullpen, that he's able to find the lost velocity on his fastball, which which is often the case. Guys often throw harder in the bullpen than they do when they're starting because of the nature of the work, right? So you, there's reason for optimism there. And if he's able to dial up that fastball and get some greater separation, that should help make him more effective as a reliever. But he's been so bad at finding the plate this year, it, it has shaken my confidence in him as a pitcher to its very core because he has been – it is hard to describe how bad John Gant has pitched this year. I mean, we've watched it. It's hideous. It's it's un, it's – you know, I actually uh, – you know, I try to watch the games, but I – I often joke on Twitter, I'm going to listen to this one on the radio, but I'll tell you if it's Mike Shannon and John Gant, I am 100% listening on, (laughs) on the radio. Horton makes it a little bit difficult, but uh, for Shannon, I'll, I'll get some enjoyment from listening to Mike, uh, even if John Gant is pitching terribly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't watch where the uh, Yachty sets his glove up and then where the pitch winds up. Don't, don't watch that. That's why you listen. Yes. That's why you listen. You don't know where Yachty set up. All right. All right. Well, we need to keep things moving along here tonight and uh, we do have a, uh, a box score. Was there anything else on the pitching you had been, or can we roll on to the box? Score? No, I am ready for this box score of your, cause it was such a fun game to watch and I'm really excited about it. Do you remember this game? So, we're, by yes. the way, I should set this up. Where, where uh, this is a July twentieth, two thousand four, the St. Louis Cardinals at the Chicago Cubs, and of course, we looked for a game this week that was a very just a quintessentially Albert Pujolsian game. I, I remember watching this game too, which it's funny. I, I often feel like I can't remember specific games, but I, and I don't know why, but I do specifically remember this one. Um. Oh gosh, this, it was a it was a one twenty one start time on a Tuesday, in yes. in two thousand and four. But I was in grad school at the time, so uh, that was it's it's extremely plausible that I was watching a baseball game <laughs> one twenty one yes. on a Tuesday. Um, uh, the the th- the thing that's so great about the two thousand and four box scores is just you know that everyday lineup. It's just it, it's wonderful and it just always hits you and it just makes you happy inside. Um, but uh, the the thing that I really enjoyed about this one is, again, so Taguchi started uh, the game. Uh, we talked about another uh, so Taguchi uh, game earlier in one of the box scores of your, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then uh, my other favorite thing about this is the list of pitchers. Uh, for both teams were so like mid 2000s pitchers for these teams. You had Matt Morris start for the Cardinals. He gave way to Cal Eldred. Then you had Steve Klein, Kiko Calero, 
who would later be dealt for Mark Mulder. Uh, Ray King, who was, of course, famously uh, added in with Jason Marquis and Adam Wainwright for J.D. Drew. And then Jason Isringhausen closed it out. Then for the Cubs, you had Glendon Rush starting, uh, Francis Beltran, who I'll be honest, I don't remember. Uh, but then you have Kent Merker, Kyle Farnsworth, and Latroy Hawkins. And that's just some really great uh, early to mid-2000s Chicago Cubs names there. And it it's just, you know, I can see their... You know, I can see their warm-up pitches with like, you know, their their name underneath it on the Fox Sports Midwest broadcast, like in my mind's eye at Wrigley Field, with the weird fitting uh, early to mid two thousands jerseys uh, that were a little bit baggy on top and tight on the bottom, and they look really weird in retrospect, like they fit wrong. And right. um, I just I really enjoyed the pitcher list for this game. Well, it's it, this is a great era to look at a Cardinals Cubs game because you had the Cubs coming off a season where they almost uh, went to the World Series. You have the Cardinals uh, MV4 series. So these are both, I think, pretty iconic um, uh, rosters for both of these franchises. So it's fun to look at. So rather than go through the rosters, because there's a lot of runs in this game, let's maybe just kind of get into the... Uh, the play-by-play. So this game did not start out great for the Cardinals. Uh, we had the, uh, 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 let's see here. Uh, bum, bum. Oh, there was no runs in the first, was there? No, there was. Um, uh, oh, you're right. Sorry. Um, Tony Womack walked to lead off the game, which is something he did not often do. Uh, Edgar oh. Renteria bunted, and then Albert Pujols doubled him home. Uh, yep. Womack home. Right. So Albert Albert starts the game with a with a double in his first at bat. Yeah. So it's a, so it's one nothing Cardinals. Um, bottom of the inning, uh, Matt Morris goes uh, one two three strikeout strikeout uh, fly ball out to retire Todd Walker, Corey Patterson, and Sammy Sosa. Uh, then top of the second, the Cardinals go one two three, and it's not surprising when you see that they brought Mike Matheny, Sotaguchi, and Matt Morris to the plate. So uh, we're to the bottom of the second now. Cardinals still leading one nothing. You want to take it from there, Ben? Uh, let's just say that things get uh, extremely ugly uh, for Matt Morris, and this is one of those uh, things that is really hopping into a time machine because things got uh, so ugly. Yet Larusa left him in the game, and so um, he he walks Moises Alou. Derek Lee hits a home run. Uh, Aramis Ramirez hits a double. Then Michael Barrett homers. Uh, then he K's Alex Gonzalez. Glendon Rush singles. He walks Todd Walker. Corey Patterson hits a double. Sammy Sosa hits a pop out. Then there's a wild pitch. Then Moises Alou hits a single. And then Cal Eldred comes in to strike out Derek Lee to end the inning. But as they say, the damage was done and it was seven to one <laughs> when Matt yeah. Morris finally got pulled. He had given up seven runs. Yeah. So it's seven to one Cubs um, at the end of two. Uh, the Cardinals starters out of the game. This game looks like it's uh, it's going nowhere. But the top of the third comes along and we're back at the top of the Cardinals order. This time, Tony Womack flies out. Edgar Renteria strikes out looking. And uh, then Albert Pujols homers on a fly ball to deep center field. So he's got a double and a home run so far. 
Um, then in the, the bottom half of the inning, Cal Eldred still out there for the, for the Cardinals, uh, gives up a home run to Aramis Ramirez. So, uh, at this point we're, uh, we're eight to two and, uh, uh, we, uh, eight to two remains the score, uh, all the way to the top of the sixth inning. Ben, you want to take it from there? Well, the MV3 uh, get things started, though in an atypical way. Uh, Pujol singled to lead off the inning. Roland singled. Then Edmonds uh, hit a single, an RBI single. Uh, Reggie Sanders came to the plate and walked. Then Mike Matheny walked. Then So Taguchi singled. And then Ray Lankford came in uh, for a uh, fly ball sack fly. Uh, and after that, uh, Womack and Renteria were retired uh, by Kent Merker. And uh, the score at that point in time was then 8-6. to six. So the Cardinals uh, not only made a significant dent uh, in the lead, they made this basically, I, I always like to think of these, uh, it's a two-batter lead now because you could have a single and a blast, and then suddenly it's tied. And at Wrigley Field in the summer, and especially in this game, you know, that's very possible. Yeah. So, uh, so it was a, a two run lead for the Cubs. Um, and then the top of the seventh, uh, for the Cardinals, Albert Pujols leads off the inning with a home run. <laughs> so off of, uh, Kyle Farnsworth, uh, muscular, muscular Kyle Farnsworth. So, uh, it just, the, it just the, warms your heart. Doesn't it? Thinking of Albert Pujols hitting a home run off of Kyle Farnsworth. I'm picturing how angry Farnsworth would have been. And that's, yes. yeah, it is warming my heart. So, uh, so now uh, it's a one run game. This one seven, one game is now a uh, eight, seven uh, Cubs lead. And it will stay that way into the top of the eighth inning. Uh, when something beautiful happened uh, after Marlon Anderson, another fun uh, Cardinals bench name uh, struck out against Kyle Farnsworth. So Taguchi hit a home run off of him. Uh, and, was, uh, here's my question. Was Farnsworth more mad after Pujols homered off him or after So Taguchi homered off of him? Uh, almost certainly So Taguchi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So Taguchi had like four home runs as a Cardinal, but they were all in like extremely memorable games. <laughs> so. Yes. And so the game was tied uh, because of So Taguchi uh, and all the other Cardinals and Cubs who uh, drew walks and got hits. Uh, And it stayed that way until we got to the top of the ninth inning, which is my favorite thing about a game that has the score uh, is it is a nine inning game and it turned into just a, you know, a white knuckle close and late game um, until someone would make a difference. And who was that someone, Ben? Well, so we get to the top of the ninth, and so we're tied eight to eight now. So this is definitely looking like a game that has the potential to go extra innings. Uh, uh, Edgar Renteria leads off for the Cardinals. He singles on a ground on an infield ground ball to shortstop. Then Albert Pujols comes up. He's had a pretty good day at the plate so far, and uh, he continues it with another home run, his third home run of the day, driving in Edgar Renteria. So we're now at ten uh, eight Cardinals. Uh, Scott Rowland would walk. Jim Edmonds would line out. Uh, Scott Rowland would be uh, caught stealing. That's a very Larusa move right there. I don't know why you're stealing a base in that situation. <laughs> Got to go so. for that third run, man. 
Well, yeah, with yeah, with the you know the Scott wheels rolling out there, always you know well known for his stolen base acumen. Um, so anyway, the runner's been erased, and also further proving my point that stealing a base there is pointless. Uh, Reggie Sanders pops a home run. So um, now we're at eleven eight, heading into the bottom of the ninth. Um, ben, anything in the bottom of the ninth there you want to hit on? It was a Jason Isringhausen special. Uh, exactly. He- <laughs> Uh, he got a ground out to start the inning, which maybe is is not typical for a Jason Isringhausen special. Uh, but then he walked Corey Patterson. Uh, he got Sosa to pop out. Then he gave up a single to Moises Alou. Then he walked Derek Lee uh, before getting uh, Ramirez to fly out to end the game, uh, but not before making it way more interesting than any Cardinals fan uh, wanted. So it was... Uh, not so much 2004 is he special, but maybe a little bit later in time is he special. Uh, a preview of things to come, shall we say? Can you imagine how horrifying that final at bat would have been? So the last batter for the Cubs was Aramis Ramirez, who, as many of us remember and has been well documented, absolutely killed the Cardinals. Like his numbers against the Cardinals are insane. And they had loaded the bases in a game that they were down by three runs. So You've got Aramis Ramirez with the bases loaded um, up against Jason Isringhausen. And uh, he got a fly ball to center field. I hope that wasn't too deep to center field because I feel like that could have been heart attack inducing in that moment to to lose a game in the ninth that you came back in such kind of an amazing fashion here. But um, just to kind of look back at uh, uh, Albert's line for the game. So he... uh, he was a uh, uh, five for five with uh, three home runs and a double. So, uh, you know, just kind of a, a pretty standard game for Albert Pujols, really. So, <laughs> you know, we we call them the MV3 for a reason, uh, because they were so good all season long. My favorite thing about this game is it's in July, so you don't see huge changes in batting uh, statistics for players after one game. But so after the July 19th game against the Cubs, Pujols had a 311 batting average, a 403 on base percentage, and a 605 slugging percentage. His OPS was uh, 1.007. After this game, he raised his batting average 11 points to 322, raised his on base percentage 7 points to 410, raised his slugging percentage 35 points to 640, and so he raised his OPS 43 points in this game, uh, which in late July is pretty remarkable. I just found that really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Now, an absolutely insane game. Pujols at his peak. Um, even if he's not at his peak, it would be interesting to, to see him back again, of course. So, um with that, Ben, I think we need to wrap things up. So uh, we're back. We actually have two off days next week, so we'll be back pretty soon. But what are you going to be watching for between now and then? Uh, I'm going to be uh, looking to see how uh, other teams pitch Bader and O'Neill and how they adjust in particular on the off-speed stuff. Uh, I'm interested to see, as as you noted earlier, you made some really good points about the 107-win version of the Cardinals has O'Neill and Bader hitting and playing really well. And, you know, the league has become much more of a breaking ball league, and I'm very interested to see if they start 
really going after them with an even higher share of breaking balls early in counts and how Bader and O'Neill respond uh, to uh, that if it happens. Yeah. Well, while you are watching the action on the field, um, I will have the game on, but I will be constantly refreshing uh, Yachty's uh, Instagram feed because I really cannot imagine (laughs) paying more attention to anything over the next week than what's going to happen with Albert Pujols, whether it's that he announces his retirement, whether it, you know, my uh, dreams come true and we see him in a Cardinals uniform again. Or, you know, whether we end up seeing him taking a job with like the Pirates or just something like that, which, you know, unfortunately is often how these things play out. But uh, somewhere in this next week, you know, we'll, the, he'll, he'll have passed through waivers. He'll be officially released. He'll be a free agent. And, uh, you know, what's going to happen is, is have things been in the works? Is he going to sign somewhere right away? Or, you know, is he going to go sit for a while and figure out what he wants to do? I don't know, but that's what I'm going to be watching out for. Well, I think we all will with bated breath uh, to see where he might land. And let me also say that I would not be surprised if he winds up somewhere uh, in between the end of the season. Uh, So he might play for two teams this year. Like there are a lot of scenarios here that could play out. Um, And so I just think it's going to be very fascinating to, to see how that all goes down. And as I've said, my heart really, really wants it to end with a home run in Bush stadium uh, as his, his last of his hall of fame career. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll hope for that and we'll keep watching and uh, whatever happens, we'll talk about it with you guys next week. So again, thank you guys so much for joining us. We've been Cardinals off day here. If you're not following us on Twitter, you can follow us there at Cardinals off day. Um, you can subscribe at Cardinals off day, uh, substack.com. I'm going to have some more written pieces, I think coming up there as well. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thank you.